You're listening to the very first season ever of the Lifestyle Company Podcast, hosted by Kristen Forgion, designer, public speaker, and creator of Organic Desert Living. If you like talking design, business, and life without the filter, you came to the right place. In just six years, Kristen grew a one-woman side hustle into a multi-million dollar creative business. And it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Armed with grit and hard work, Kristen comes to you unapologetically with some tough love. They say wine is cheaper than therapy, and lucky for you, we've got that last part covered. So pour up and let's get to it. So what did you guys think of episode five with Kylie, Rachel, and me? If you listened, um, you probably had to turn your volume down like substantially no less than 50 times and you may have had to turn your volume up a couple times too because we were all recording in one mic and Rach sounded like she was like seven rooms away and Kylie sounded like she was right next to the mic and I sounded like I was on top of the mic so that was interesting um I kind of feel like we sounded like cackling hens but who cares we had so much fun and today when I came to record this episode I got kind of bummed. Like, I got kind of bummed that Kylie and Rach weren't with me. Um, It was so fun. It was so fun. It was awesome to get to answer some of your questions. It was so rewarding as a boss and as a friend and as a leader and a business owner and a designer to hear that what we're doing is is making an impact in our employees' lives and in, of course, our clients' lives. And it, it was just awesome to get to hear kind of their take on things. You tend to forget when you spend so much time with someone how it all started and um, kind of just some of the funny stuff that happened along that time. So I absolutely loved just spending that time with them. And if you guys can't tell from what you see on social, like we are so close and we spend so much time together that like it's no holds bar. Like we are just, I mean, it's it's kind of too much. We are, we are too much for some people. And those people are not our people, which is kind of what this whole podcast is about. So, so it all works out. But I hope you enjoyed it. It was so amazing. We got more downloads for that episode than any episode that we've put out yet. So that's exciting. We also now are using a service that we can track things a little bit better. So we have been consistently growing by like over 200 downloads every single episode. So it's really good to know that that it's working and you guys are telling people and you're liking it and you're coming back for more and it makes it so much easier to create really good content that you're connected to when we know that there's actually people out there listening other than my, my mom and all, all of our moms really. Um, so it was amazing. And just so you know, I mentioned it recently on social you don't have to listen to the episodes in order. So it's not like Game of Thrones style, which I don't really even know what that's about. I'm not I'm not on the Game of Thrones thing. I know, I know, but I just can't do it. I've tried and I, I lost interest in the first like 10 minutes of episode one. Maybe I'll give it another try, but um, it's not like that. So you don't have to have to watch or listen. Jeez, I almost said watch. You don't have to listen to like one through four to be able to get into five. I actually think episode three, which is on influencer fraud, is a really good one if you just want to jump in and hear something like really juicy and interesting. Influencer fraud is, is kind of that subject. So don't be afraid and go back and listen to episodes that you may not have heard. Or if you want to go back and listen to them again, now that we've gotten to know each other a little bit and we're halfway through season one, we're halfway through. This is the sixth episode and I am trying to put out 12 amazing episodes for season one so that you guys can help tell us if you like this, if we should keep doing it all of those things. So we are halfway through. So now that we know each other a little bit more, I feel like you might want to go back and and listen and, and you'll take some more from it. So don't be afraid to do that. We always start with our questions and this episode will be no different. Last episode was kind of different because there was all three of us in here and we couldn't stop laughing and like we're already on a full tangent 15 minutes in before we even got there. So we're going to start with the questions. So what am I wearing? So I'm wearing a good old-fashioned ball cap, white button-up, and high-waisted denim Levi's shorts because it's date night tonight, and my hubby and I are going to a Yankee Diamondbacks game. My husband is a die-hard Yankee fan. He's from Jersey, but he's a die-hard Yankee fan. 
Like, he knows when catchers report, pitchers report, who's on the DL, the whole thing. I'm pretty sure he thinks he's on the team, even though he doesn't get paid to, like, one, you know. Um, but it's really important to him that we go see them anytime they're here. So I go for the beer and hot dogs. He goes for the baseball. It works. So I'm really excited about that. So I'm not actually repping the shop a whole lot today, which is a rare occurrence. But we did restock the swim separates, anything that we could. So if you haven't gotten online, go online, look at the separates. We have tons of really cute, like early spring. Well, now it's already pretty much summer here in Arizona. But pieces, you will love it. We introduce new pieces all the time. So if you haven't been online in a little while, make sure you go because I'm sure we have new pieces. And it's www.thelifestylecoshop.com. What am I eating? I'm still on the clean-ish train. So I've been experimenting a little bit with just easy weeknight dinners. I cook every night, although I don't have a lot of time for it. And what by cook every night, I mean I cook on Monday. I cook on Sunday. I cook on Monday. By Tuesday, I'm usually ready for a margarita or tacos, Taco Tuesday, something like that. By Wednesday, we almost always do DoorDash. And then I'm back to cooking Thursday and then Friday's Friday. So, you know, it's kind of three times a week thing. But so I cooked last night and I made this really yummy, I'm sure you've seen it floating around Pinterest, zucchini boat with turkey Italian sausage in it. So good, like amazing and clean-ish and pretty easy. And you just kind of make the mix and then and then put it in the zucchini boats and put it in the oven. So I really loved that. It was super flavorful and again, cured my pasta craving. I feel like I have a lot of pasta cravings. What am I reading? I just picked up on Audible. Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. I had tons of people recommend it to me. So I wanted to read it and I put a couple other books in front of it and I am so excited to start reading it. Vince and I are going on vacation here in a couple weeks for our anniversary. So I am going to be like toes in the sand all up in listening to Michelle Obama's book. I've heard it's amazing. I cannot wait. Recent face palm. <laughs> you guys, at least you know I'm human. I mean, come on. Um, I was on a good little, you know, three or four day stretch there and I was helping Kylie with her sister's baby or baby. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Bridal shower this weekend. And I left my phone. Then when I realized I left my phone, I came back in and realized I didn't have my keys. Turns out my, my keys were in aunt Peggy's purse, which was upstairs at Kylie's mom's condo. So I got them, everything recovered, but that was like a slight little heart attack. And then today I got here to record and realized I left my computer charger at the studio. So I texted the team, who wants to bring me my computer charger? Right now I'm doing okay on juice, but when you're recording a podcast, the microphone is plugged into my MacBook. So it seems to kind of suck the battery out of it pretty, pretty quickly. So we'll see how far I get, but yeah, mm -hmm, just a day in the life of Barb's. Um, so that's, that's the face palm. Recent face palm is me just, it's, it's kind of like, it's a sickness. I don't, I don't even know why I can't remember my shit. Um, on the radar this week is probably, I mean, of course we have amazing projects and that all of that's moving along. Um, but probably the fact that I changed my handle on Instagram and I hate that that's like breaking news, but it is, I mean, I don't really hate it, but it's breaking news. Um, if you saw the stories last week, Kelly, our marketing manager, and I have been talking about where our brand, where the brand is going and, and changes that we have coming down the pipe and how that's going to affect us from a marketing standpoint. And she really urged me to take my name back from kind of the business name, which I was at Lifestyle Co. for like seven years, forever, six years, forever. Maybe it was even like seven, six, seven, I don't know, something like that. I've never changed it, not once, like not even added an underscore a period, a capitalization, <laughs> nothing. It has been at Lifestyle Co. since day one. So the thought of changing my handle to anything other than that and giving that handle to the brand was definitely something that I was not prepared for. So of course my first answer is like, are you crazy? No, everyone knows me as Lifestyle Co. No, no, like the answer is no. We don't need to do that. We are a way long way from being something Navy or Damsel and Dior or Emily Schumann and Cupcakes and Cashmere or like any of the big, you know, the big ones, if you will, who have created this a brand that kind of takes on its own identity. I'm like, we're so far from that. Are you kidding me? That's that's like crazy. And then once I really started thinking about it and I talked to Kelly more, it it really made sense. And we have a multifaceted brand, which we are really lucky to have. And we have a business that has a lot of moving parts. And 
it just it just made sense. So as the brand grows, it needs to have its own identity and we needed to streamline things. So now my handle is at Kristen Forgione, which is my name. And it is really, really interesting when you find out that there are people who have been following you for six years who don't actually know your name. <laughs> I didn't realize that I didn't really use my name that much. Oh, and then everyone brought up the fact that I go by Barb all the time and people actually think that my name is Barb that like my mother named me Barb. <laughs> no, you guys, my mother did not name me Barb. My name is Kristen Karen Gabardi is my maiden name. But since I married Vince, my last name is Forgione. I traded one hard Italian last name or what I thought was an Italian last name, but 23andMe told me we're British. That's another thing I'll tell you about sometime for an, a hard Italian last name. So my name is at Kristen Forgione. I had a bunch of people message me and ask me if I got hacked, which is kind of funny because like if I got hacked, you would be messaging the hacker. And would the hacker be like, yep, hacked her. <laughs> sure thing. Yep, it's me. I hacked her. So I am not hacked. It is still me. I gave Lifestyle Co. to the brand. So now the brand page is at the Lifestyled Co. So it's the shop, it's the brand, it's all things lifestyle company. And then there's little old me who's just like, you know, the founder and, and I just do my design thing over there. So if you don't follow the shop in the brand page, please do because we're kind of passing the torch and we need all the support we can get. So it's at the Lifestyled Co. And I have an absolute death of the moment for you on episode six, right here, right now, this morning. We are driving to work, and all of a sudden, we get a notification on our phones that Reese Witherspoon, yes, the real Reese Witherspoon, commented on one of Rachel's photos of our work. So it is, it was a photo of the gallery wall from Brie Bella's house, and Reese Witherspoon, like verified and everything, the real deal, like 17 million followers, commented um, something like, I love me a good gallery wall. Oh, death. Like, I die. I don't think she realizes how, like, Kylie was shaking. She literally is like, if I could meet anyone, it would be Reese Witherspoon. Like, just, like, absolute goddess. Class act. Just, I mean, Sweet Home Alabama, Legally Blonde. Like, I can't. Uh, Cruel Intentions. Such a amazing, amazing woman and fantastic actress. And I we just love her. So, like, that was insane. That happened to, to us today. Reese Witherspoon commented on a photo of our work. What? Like, death. I don't get it. I'm so happy. And with that, we're into the meat of what episode six is about. And I'm wondering if you clicked in because you are one of our cult followers, which we love and appreciate you so much, or if maybe you were in the podcast app and you started searching turning your passion into a business or something like that. So if you're here from the search, wonderful. If you're here because you love us and we love you, fantastic. And I'm thinking that you might not even know what the title, The Unexpected with Turning Your Passion into a Business. You don't even probably know what, what unexpected I'm going to tell you about and what that means. And before I really get into it, I want to say that I had a totally different topic planned for episode six. And this is kind of like a pivotal, pivot, pivot, kind of a pivotal podcast episode because we're halfway. So I feel like I either had to have captured you and you're coming back for more and you love it and you're you're drinking the Kool-Aid or maybe you're just stumbling in or I don't know, six just felt like kind of a big one. Like we're rounding the bases and there you go, baseball analogy. I'm going to fill this whole episode with baseball analogies because I know I'm going to the game, but we're rounding the bases. And so I felt like this was really important. So I kind of had a different episode planned. And then I've, I've, this topic has been weighing heavily on my mind in the last say a couple weeks-ish, maybe a month. And it really caught me by surprise. Like it really caught me by surprise. So much so that I've been vocalizing it a lot and talking about it a lot with, with Vince and my mom and my best friends and, and our team at work. And so because of that, I felt like if it's taking up enough of my mind share that I'm talking to my mom and, and my family and, and our team about it, it's probably something that you guys might be thinking about too, or maybe you haven't thought at all about it. And I think that's actually what I want to bring awareness to because like I said, it, it totally took me by surprise and I was not prepared at all for the way it would make me feel. Okay, so what am I talking about? What is this unexpected thing that involves turning your passion into a business? I think that somewhere along the lines, and let me back up by saying, it is an absolute blessing 
blessing, blessing, blessing to be able to turn what you love into a business, specifically a business that you can support your family or yourself or a portion of your family with. Um, it's, it's like, I truly believe it's one of the best gifts that you can give yourself or if there's someone in your family or a partner or however that works for you, I truly believe that if you can find happiness in your job, it will be a game changer for you. Think about it. You spend more awake hours working in whatever capacity that is than you do anything else. Almost, for most people, more than sleeping even. There aren't a whole lot of people that sleep for more than probably eight hours a day. So this is what consumes your daily life for most of your life, especially in in America. Like our culture, we start working at 15, 15 and a half, 16, and we really don't stop, at least in the government size, until about 62 and a half is when at least Social Security kicks in, I believe. So culturally, we spend our whole lives working. And I think that it's really impactful if you can find a job, we'll call it career, a job, whatever, that is what you love. So it's a blessing. And I feel it's interesting to be in this position, one, to have this podcast and actually be able to talk to you and two, be able to sound off and hear what other people have to say about it. Because I feel I feel crazy, frankly, even sitting here making a podcast episode about this feeling because so much of my life is so wonderful and amazing and, and people would literally rip their right arm off to have what I have. And I know that. And I am so incredibly thankful that by whatever means I've gotten here, luck, God, skill, talent, timing, whatever, that it's all come come to guide me and lead me to where I am. So it feels, sounds crazy to be like, yeah, there's something unexpected. And I think you can probably tell I'm alluding to something, I want to say negative. It's really not negative. It's just, it's just like something that hit me like a ton of bricks. So I promise I'll spit it out. But the point is, I don't want you to think that I'm I'm ungrateful or that um, I, sh- I shouldn't be feeling this way because I think I... I'm okay to feel this way, I think. And like I said, that's kind of a new exception of this feeling. So let me just get into it. Turning your passion into a business is, I think, ultimately what a lot, a lot, a lot of people really, truly want. It's what I wanted. It's what I always knew would happen for me from the time I was very little. I knew I would be an entrepreneur. I knew I would work for myself. I didn't understand at that time how or why or what it would take, but I knew it would happen. And I was committed to making it happen. And that that's how I got here with a lot of stops in between, obviously. But so turning your passion into a business is truly for me, the American dream. It's what I absolutely love. I personally feel like you can make investments and, and maybe you're on the track of doing something that is really rewarding and and maybe reward, rewards you financially really well. But if if you don't love it, there are also feelings that go along with that. And so that saying of if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life is, is very true. And I can attest to that 100%. I truly cannot imagine doing anything else with my life other than being an interior designer or a designer of some kind. Well, I'm kind of into the charcuterie thing now, so I might be doing that in my retirement if that's still a thing in like 20 years. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just it's just one of those those things and part of what we as a culture absolutely strive to. And it truly is like the ultimate form of success in my eyes. So I wasn't anticipating feeling like this. And let me, I just need to spit it out because I feel like I'm like going in circles. Um, there is a little bit of an alone feeling, if you will. And it's totally unexpected when you turn your passion into a business. Because think about when people ask like, oh, what do you do? What do you do for fun? What do you do in your free time? What's your hobby? For me, I turned my hobby and my passion, what I absolutely loved, design, into a business. And it works and it's it's amazing. And I wouldn't change a thing. Let me continue to say I wouldn't change a thing. But in turning my passion into a business, now I no longer have a passion. So if you think about it in just that very elementary basic level, I took what I absolutely love and what brings me more joy than anything other than my children and my husband and my family and obviously all of that, and I turned it into a revenue stream and into a business and I monetized it and I made it my life, truly my life. 
And again, I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful. However, with that, there's I'm, I'm devoid of, of my hobby and of my passion. And so, okay, so go back like a couple years. So I also think that when you're in the thick of building a business, it's like you're not thinking about this. Like this is not a feeling that comes up when you're in year one or year two or year three. Or for me, it really didn't come up till year six. Like you've got to really have some control and you've got to be seeing the fruits of your labor. You probably have some money in the bank. You feel like what you're doing is working. You're helping people. You're changing lives. For me, one coffee table at a time. You've For me, you've got employees that are are excelling and succeeding and and you're watching them grow and you're helping them them develop and all of those things are happening. So when everything happens like that and it, it works out, I feel like it kind of opens your mind and your heart to be able to accept what else is happening in your life. And like I said, very, very recently, it's I kind of started thinking just back, if you will, or taking a look into my own life at a 40,000 foot level and realizing like, Jesus, everything that I loved, I have monetized. I have turned into a business. And again, I'm like, I don't know if this is a, I, I think it's fine. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I, I don't think it's a good thing necessarily. I just think it's, it's a thing. It's unexpected. It's one of those unexpected things in business that one, I don't think anyone talks about because I feel like every business coach and every successful person and every entrepreneur is like, this is how you do it. You put your head down, you put your nose to the grindstone, you work, 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 you make smart decisions, you're efficient, you're, you're fast, you're ethical, you're highly moral, you serve others, you invest, you pull out when you're supposed to take your money elsewhere you you know you do you do all of these things not even necessarily in that order and and all of those things with perfect timing and a lot of love equal success and I totally endorse all of that and I think that's totally true but there's also this part of if you are a self-reflective person and if you highly value the like your gut and the way you feel inside which I do I was never expecting to feel alone when it came to my passion and what I have that's outside of my job and and my family. It's weird, right? It's so, so weird. And it is just this feeling, like I said, that has been weighing so heavy on me because, and it's not like a I'm crying type of thing. Like I'm not crying. I'm not upset. It's really not like that. It's more like a wow, I'm in the phase right now where I'm just completely shocked that I feel this way. And now that I've recognized it and I feel like it, it really is true, I'm wondering how, how do I not even avoid it? Because I think I think it's it's fine for me. How do I help other entrepreneurs so that they are more prepared for this feeling than than I have been? So I think first, it's really important to think about what makes you the most happy. And I'm not saying that you have to think about what makes you the most happy and then protect that and make sure that you never go into business doing that thing. I don't think that works at all. I think part of why I have had the success I have is because I am so passionate about it. And there is no question in my mind that design chose me and I chose it right back. And I will fight to the death to make sure that I can stay happy in this job and in this world. And and for me, that's making my own destiny. And it, it has really worked out beautifully for me. But I am saying that I think if you can look at it from, as I mentioned before, more of a 40,000 foot level, especially when you're coming into your business, you might be able to make better decisions based on what you go forward with and and what you don't. So for me, we started this design business and that, that was my passion. It was a hobby. I was blogging. And so we bought our first house. I started blogging about it. We did renovations on it. We decorated, you know, I talked about it honestly and, and my skill set started to grow and I have natural talent for it. And I was able to tap into everything that I learned in fashion school and everything that I was doing in my career with weddings and events and created the lifestyle company. So I could style all aspects of people's lives. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to see pretty early on within the first couple of years that I couldn't do a lot of what was making me money-ish at the time, aka weddings. I couldn't do them anymore. And I was just kind of spinning my wheels in that regard. So I threw that out and continued to go on interiors. And, you know, there's been a lot of stops in between, but weddings was never my passion. Interiors was truly my passion and always has been. So the business is going, and like I said, we get through year one and two and three and four and five, and, and now we're in year six, and things are, are knock on wood amazing. And so now I have this, this kind of crossroad in front of me that's like, wow, if you actually look at the decisions that I've made in business, as a serial entrepreneur, I have turned everything that I love into a business. Like truly, I 
it's not fun. I, I hate to tell you guys this because <laughs> it's going to be really heartbreaking for many of you. If and when you become a professional interior designer, there's a very good chance that you might hate Target. I know. I know. It's true. I never, ever thought that it was possible. But I hate Target. Like, I can't go there and just stroll the aisles on mom time with my Starbucks anymore because it brings back bad, bad memories of running through Target at 9 p.m. before they close, filling 17 carts full of Target shit, like bedding and towels and accessories and styling and, and wall decor and indoor chairs and outdoor chairs and Clorox wipes and everything you could possibly imagine. For a really long time, a lot of where we sourced and what we did, especially in the beginning, was from just your your kind of usual suspects, as we call them, Target, Hobby Lobby, um, Home Goods, all of those. That was where a ton of our stuff came from before we entered into the wholesale kind of buying game, which is is where most of our styling pieces and accessories come from now. So we don't do a whole lot of retail shopping. But it it jaded me. It changed me. I don't have that much fun at Target anymore. And my point is there the things that I that I used to be able to find a lot of joy in have become a business and specifically in design. Like I can't just go to my friends anymore and like help them design their homes. Because one, my brain doesn't work like that really anymore. If in a very small project, it's fine. Like, of course, my my friends are always shooting me like, hey, does this look good? Hey, what about that? Da, da, da. And I'm more than happy to answer. But there are, I have some, some friends that are clients and clients that are friends. And it's like, I lost the ability to just be able to be like, hey, you want to go to Home Goods today and like buy some pillows? I'm like, no, I don't want to go to Home Goods today and buy some pillows. It's Saturday. Like, I'm not working because my whole life is freaking pillows. And like I said, I'm not complaining. It's the best job in the world. I can't imagine ever doing anything else with my life. But it has taken that like passion card away because I do it for my real life. And then you think about, okay, so maybe not design. And in my brain, this is how it works. Well, you know what? I love fashion and I haven't gotten to do anything in fashion. So let's open a retail store. And actually, at that time, we weren't even thinking about fashion. Retail was like, I love buying. Truly, that's the way it felt. It was like, I love buying. I have a whole new world now that we're in in wholesale buying with, with markets and that whole wholesale goods world. And there was just so much amazing that I literally came home from Vegas Market like three years ago and was like, I, I can't not buy this stuff. I have to bring the people our curated aesthetic and I can do it. And, and here we go. And the Lifestyle Company shop was born. And so that was a passion of mine. And it truly began as a passion project, hence our limited hours and this teeny tiny little studio that we turned into a retail floor that has been wildly successful that we are so, so grateful for. And that that then went into actual fashion and buying. And, and now we're in this whole world where we get to buy amazing fashion and, and travel to Los Angeles and Vegas and continue to expand on the passion that I have for fashion, but it's work. Like ultimately it has to make money and it has to be profitable and we have to do it in the right way. And we have to make sure that we're adhering to our customers needs and requirements and requests and all of those things. So it's like, I can't just buy for fun. If I buy something that you guys don't like and you don't buy, there's a consequence for that. I'm going to end up with 20 freaking dresses that don't have a home. And Part of that is the cost of doing business, and that will always be when you have a retail floor. There will You will overbuy, you will underbuy, there will be things that come damaged, there will be things that you overpriced, that you underpriced, that you didn't anticipate, that clash, that are not a good fit for your collection. Like, there, you know, that's all the cost of doing business, but it's within reason. And you, you can tell right away, I can tell right away when I buy something that you guys aren't down with. And if I take a risk on something and I don't really give you a reason why I took the risk or I don't draw attention to it, it'll just sit there. So it's, it's not passion at that point. It's business. Like, this is how much we spent. This is how much we need to make. We need to make this kind of profit. We go through it all hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So that's no longer my passion. That's a business. And please, no, I am not complaining. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face because I just don't want this podcast and this episode to make it sound like I'm like I'm not grateful or I'm complaining because I'm not. I'm just trying to vocalize kind of this this feeling that is unexpected that I wasn't ever anticipating feeling. So we buy the cabin. The cabin, this beautiful A-frame cabin in the pines that is like my dream. Truly, we sold our house up in North Scottsdale. Um, it's been 
three and a half years now. Gosh, it'll be we'll be in our new house for four years. So it's been even longer than that because um, we flipped a house in between and gutted our current house completely. And um, so it was like four years ago. And we sold our house up there so that we could buy at a lower price down where we are now in Gilbert and put those funds toward a second home, toward a cabin. So, I mean, this has been my dream for a really long time to have a cabin. And it's something that it's really important for me to make memories with our family. And we own our cabin with our cousins. And that's amazing and such a, a wonderful family bond to have that kind of closeness. And and it's it's fantastic. And designing it and styling it based on the vintage 1977 shell that it is was wonderful. But now it's a business like it has it's an, it's its own LLC and we file taxes and we pay taxes and it's a business. And if it doesn't book on Airbnb, everybody's looking at me to market it and to figure out how to get it booked. And again, we've been very lucky and, and we're super pleased with the turnout that we've had and, and how much we get to use it and how many people love it like it's their own. Like, I, I think that's such a blessing. But again, it's now a business. It's not a passion anymore. And I'm trying to make sure that when I'm up there, I'm kind of separating the two and I'm up there as a guest. I'm not up there as an owner. But like, that's not possible. You know, we get up there and we're like, oh, shit, this is broken. Like, oh, this looks dated. Oh, this is aging quickly. Oh, the squirrels got to that. Like, so there's there's a lot of moving parts with that part of our business that kind of takes the passion, if you will, out of it. So I don't have that. Um, <laughs> I started Pilates recently and I love Pilates, but my studio offered me a social partnership. So now I've got that going. So when I'm doing Pilates, I am literally like taking stories while I'm on my jumps and and taking stories. And I love that and I'm so thankful. And, and it really, it doesn't bother me in my daily life. So I don't want you guys to think that I'm bothered by this. Like I said, it's just all of these actions, when you add them up, these little teeny blips of my day, when I add them up, I'm like, wow. And it, it just, it was really a, a light bulb moment that I, I thought I no longer have, like, is there something wrong with me? You know, that's kind of what I thought. Cause it's like, here I am. I've been busting my ass for six years making this business what it is. And I have amazing, incredible people around me from my team to our clients, to my family, to my friends, everyone. I, I have made my dreams come true. Like, I, I truly cannot ask God for anything else. I really can't. I am so incredibly fulfilled and genuinely happy and, and thankful. And I feel like it's a disease. Like, I feel like this is an entrepreneurial disease, especially a serial entrepreneur. And I would love to know from other entrepreneurs out there if you've ever felt like this, or maybe now that I'm vocalizing it, now you are also evaluating your life and you're thinking like, wow, this is totally true. I'm the same way. I feel like I can't be the only person on planet earth that feels this way. Um, I am very connected to myself and my feelings. So maybe I am, I don't know. I'm gonna rely on you guys in the DMs to tell me if that's if, if this is true and if you felt that way. And I'm also looking really forward to, to see how you guys translate this episode into your lives because even if you don't own your own business if you're struggling with where where to fall or I have had recently a couple people reach out to me who have so many passions that they feel like they're good at that they don't know where to actually put resources toward to make it a business so they're a really great photographer they're a really good event stylist they're they're selling whatever and and they're kind of dabbling but all at that entry level and there isn't like a clear winner so I think that's that's kind of interesting too so then you get into influencer stuff and influencer stuff is a whole nother world where again, I'm a baby influencer. I still very much believe that I've got, you know, a handful of 40,000 and compared to Instagram world, that's like completely, uh, I'm a baby, I'm a micro, which I'm good with. And I, I feel like there's a lot of territory that comes with getting much bigger. And this has got to be one of them. Like I now really value the time that I have that I'm not on some sort of influencer campaign or sponsorship. So as I mentioned, my husband and I are going on our anniversary vacation. We decided to go to Cabo. Um, I was thinking about reaching out to the hotel and saying, hey, I'm here. Do you guys want to do a social partnership? I'm going to be here anyway. I'm going to be sharing this beautiful hotel on the gram, I'm sure. It'll be mutually beneficial, no problem, which I've done before. And it, and it worked out really well. But about that same time, that's when this kind of feeling started lurking. And I just said to Vince, I was like, I don't want to do that. Mm -mm. 
I want to pay. I want to pay full price and I want to be treated like a regular guest. And I don't want to have to have that that pressure of performing. There's been times where I've been on on trips and I'm literally sitting in a massage and I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, did I like portray this massage as amazing as it is? Like, is this company, is this hotel brand gonna be happy with me? Are they, like, are people gonna follow them because of this? Are they are they gonna participate in the giveaway? Are they gonna, you know, whatever. And I'm my mind is like racing about the performance because I care so much about being an authentic influencer and I care about my personal brand performing that like I literally got done with the massage and I was like, oh my God, I don't even think I like, I don't even remember what that felt like. And I, I just walked out of the massage. It was like, I was like, I truly felt like I wasn't there. Like my body was there, but my mind was like racing because I was thinking about influencer performance and how how this was gonna perform on my feed and with, with our following. And luckily we have a really strong, organic, authentic following. So it, it always works out fine, but it's something that crosses my mind every single time I take a partnership, which is why I'm also really specific about who I work with because it has to be authentic and it has to be real and it has to be from me. So I pose the question back to you. Do you feel like there is an unexpected price, for lack of a better term, with turning your passion into a business? I'll tell you my answer, yes. Does it mean I would change a thing? No, because I do feel like passions can ebb and flow. They can come and go. You can be super into something, one thing right now, and even a few weeks can go by and now you're totally over it. Um, But a business, especially a healthy one, needs to have longevity. Um, unless you have a whole bunch of capital to throw around and then you can just kind of like dip your toe in and out as you please. But for most people, that's not common and, and possible. So a business needs to have longevity. So because of that, I don't in any way think I would change a thing if you would have told me six years ago that you aren't going to be able to go to Target anymore because you kind of hate it. Um, And when you got your cabin that you've always dreamed of, it was going to be business and you weren't going to be able to enjoy it as much as you thought you would in the beginning. And it doesn't mean that I don't love my cabin and I don't love my time there. I absolutely do. I I wouldn't change a thing. But like I said, it's an unexpected price of entrepreneurship that I don't think people talk about. And it's, it's feeling related. And as a culture, we don't talk a lot about feelings. Feelings are bad. They're just like, we just don't vocalize this stuff a lot. And I kind of feel like part of my role here as a business owner, as a designer, as an influencer on this earth, as a podcast host, is to kind of help challenge your mind a little bit and and try to be as authentic and open with my life as I can so that that gives you an opportunity to look at your life and be as authentic and open with yourself and then hopefully your family and friends and maybe even your followers or however that works for you so that we can all kind of perpetuate a more healthy way of being and and just overall being a little bit more well. I'm, I'm always, I always tell everyone on our team, like I'm pro wellness. I'm not counting sick days. I'm pro wellness. Like I want you to feel good and be well and, and travel and experience life with both feet soundly on the ground and your eyes wide open. And so when it hit me that I was kind of feeling like this, it truly came from feeling like everything that I had was tied to something else. You guys, even even this podcast on saying, what am I reading? I found myself being like, shoot, I haven't read anything new this week. Like, I got to get on that. Oh my God, I have to tell the people when I record this next podcast next Tuesday what I'm reading. And I finished Business with Bohemians and I read Entrepreneur Magazine cover to cover every single month, but I already talked about that. And shit, I need to pick up another book. And so I did. And, and that is true and how authentic it all comes to be but there's like a price for that and it creates kind of this pressure that you don't you don't realize so i'm looking for a new hobby (laughs) if you've taken anything from this i'm looking for a new hobby that i am not going to monetize that i'm going to do in my free time that i'm going to fall wildly in love with so if you have any suggestions um, I would love to know them because I, I truly am. I'm I'm looking for a hobby that I can get my own personal reward and satisfaction from without having to worry about making money. Um, and it's, like I said, it's such a blessing. So part of me wants to be like, I hope you get there someday. I hope someday you have such success that you don't have any more hobbies. <laughs> but I also think that it's something that you should prepare for. So I can't leave this episode without giving you something to think about later. So some deliverables, 
I know there's some people that take notes out there, Kelly, our marketing manager being one of them, because she does the show notes for the website, which are always available to you for every episode. But I want to make sure that you have something achievable and actionable that you can actually work on. So in thinking back how knowing this information then would have affected me, I don't think I would have changed anything. I've already mentioned that a hundred times, but I do think that if I could have been a little more steadfast on keeping the line very firm between what part of my passion translates to business and what part of my passion stays my passion, that would have helped me. And maybe that would have been, you know what else I forgot to mention? Flips. We did flips for a couple of years and that started as a passion project. And we ended up getting sued in one of our flips from one of our flips, which I will tell you about all the bad shit in business, that episode, which is coming up in the back half of, of the season. But, um, and just, just have somebody sue you for your passion to very quickly turn into business. <laughs> very quickly. It happens like in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden what I loved and what brought me such joy. And I'll tell you being a house flipper and being a designer is not a good combination. Like, as far as I'm concerned, there are very few house flippers that are actually true designers because designers have a really hard time doing things for money, like just for money. And as a flipper, you have to be incredibly economical and incredibly smart. And there are a few that do it really well. And I think if you're going to do it and by doing it really well, I mean, you stay true to your design aesthetic, you're not going to make any money. And I think most designers will tell you, oh, yeah, I did that as a passion. I wanted that house. I wanted to transform it. I wanted to have fun with it. I wanted to revive it or keep it at you know keep it as it is or show its potential or whatever it's never because they want to make money on it because the two just don't really go together like you you have to make really economical choices and there are some things as a designer that I don't care what you pay me or I don't care what it costs we are not doing that um very, very few things but there there are a couple things and so in flipping like that was a passion I wanted to flip I wanted to I wanted to you know do some investment properties and do some spec houses and it just so quickly turned into a complete nightmare. And like I said, we ended up getting sued. So that case is, is done and we won. Um, and we, we prevail, if you will. And um, so if I would have been a little bit more steadfast on that, maybe the, the line would have had a little bit more integrity and I, I wouldn't have given 100%. I don't know. Hell, as I'm saying this, I'm like, what do you mean I wouldn't have given 100% of my passion to my business? Of course I would have. I did. That's how I got here. Um, so maybe just protect a few things. Like I literally feel like I have turned everything I love other than my family and friends into a business. And I can also tell you, speaking of family, we have been approached over a handful of times by different marketing co- or different production companies for a show. Every day, someone on Instagram will comment like, you need your own show. You need your own show. And I don't want to be a reality TV star. I want to be a designer. So there's that. And then there's also all of these production companies want our children. They want our kids on TV. They want Vince and I acting like house flippers, um, which is also comical because it was never any actual part of our business, like 2% of our business. And it started as a passion project. And um, that's what they want. Like who wants another show on flipping? I don't know. That could be a whole nother rant. But They want our kids and they want us to put our kids on TV. And Vince and I believe really strongly and I'm not criticizing anyone. I think Chip and Joanna are amazing. They do it like in such a classy way. I think like um, I'm all for do whatever works for you. For Vince and I, we don't we don't want to put our children on TV. So because of that, again, it's like I I can't turn that and I don't want to turn that into a business and the the potential is out there and I am so glad that in that regard I have been like no this will not happen I will not turn my you know I'm just not doing it and like I said I could go on for a really long time about that so get me in the dms if you want me to but um so I, I think just in conclusion like I said earlier just really try to connect with yourself if connecting with yourself is doing yoga every day if it's going on walks if it's reading books if it's listening to podcasts I hope it's me I hope it's my voice in your headphones or your earbuds. Um, if it's coloring, if it's painting, kayaking, like there are so many amazing hobbies. Cooking, I love to cook. I love to cook. Um, try to make sure that you keep a very reserved place for that because as your business grows, your time is going to become way more valuable and you will be burning the candle at all ends. It's not both ends, it's all ends. It's every single orifice possible that candle will be burning and you will need to have some sort of outlet so that you can can have some relief. 
And I don't think I did a good job of protecting that. And so now I'm feeling this unexpected feeling of like, wow, I have nothing, even though I have everything and, and I have everything. But for, for like Kristen, not Barb, for Kristen, when Kristen goes to sleep at night, what do I have that's just for me? Um, I still really like taking baths. I definitely, that's a pastime that I love. Um, but you wanna know what I do in the bath? I sit there and I read emails or I, I'm doing Instagram research or I'm pinning or I'm, I'm doing something. Um, I'm buying, I'm creating a collection inspiration board for our next collection. Like I use that time to kind of critically think instead of rest. So maybe I should do that. I'm, I'm gonna start listening to my own advice here. So with that, that's episode six. I hope you guys are still listening kind of a, a takeoff for me that we did an episode like this. But like I said, it was really important and, and weighing heavily on me. And I wanted you guys to kind of be in on that. So now now we know how it feels and I want feedback. I want to know how this affects you. And if you feel the same way as an entrepreneur or even, even you've started your business a month ago or you haven't even launched or whatever. If you're feeling like you need support, I'm here for you. I answer every single direct message. My new handle is at Kristen4GM. Just so you know, you can still type in at Lifestyled Co. and it will still come up. Um, and then if you end up on the brand page at the Lifestyled Co., my handle is also tagged in the bio. Closing the show with three questions. And I typically select questions that I get off of Instagram that people ask that require a little bit more in-depth answer that I can't just like respond quickly to. It's, it's something that has a little bit more meat to it. So the first one is from Ashley Linnea Hobbs. I hope I'm saying that right. And she wrote, I need to share more about myself or me on my business Insta, but I feel weird. Help. I find that so interesting. Um, how can I help you with that? You need to repeat to yourself in whatever business you are, when my people think of X, I want them to think of me. Or I always say, when people think of design, I want them to think of me. And putting those words together in that sentence way, way, way long time ago really helped me. And it helped me remember my mission, which is when people think of design, I want them to think of me. And the sooner you can start acknowledging your own experience, whether it's small or large, long or short, as an expert. And if you're not there yet, and if, if you don't even believe you're an expert, you need to gain some more knowledge. You need to put in some more work. You need to get some more experience so that you yourself know and understand that you're an expert. Um, I think it's really important because you can't possibly ask for someone to trust you if you don't trust yourself. And Recently, I got a really good question about um, calling yourself an interior designer versus calling yourself something else. And I briefly touched on it in a previous episode, but I think there's a lot of weight behind a lot of these titles that are thrown around a lot on social media because anyone can be, I don't know, a designer. Anyone can't be a doctor. You need letters after your, after your name, but anyone can kind of be a designer. Anyone can be a blogger. Anyone can be a food stylist. Anyone can be, you know, a photographer. Anyone can be any of these things. But I think that once you turn it into a business and once you're doing it professionally and you're calling your, yourself an expert, there's a lot of weight behind that. And part of that weight is being able to back yourself up being able to put your money where your mouth is because things are going to go wrong and you're going to have to pay for something at one point that you did do and at one point that you didn't do and and if you if it only happens to you once and once that is a freaking absolute blessing like that is a gift because it happens all the time where ultimately we have a contractor do something shitty and we have to pay for it or you experience influencer fraud or you have a client that just decides that they don't want to pay their bill it, it happens, you guys, a lot. And as you navigate through the business world, hopefully you're coming up with tactics that can help change that and help manage that. But by calling yourself a professional and an expert, you need to be able to back yourself up. And there's, as I said, a lot of weight with that. So if you, if you are feeling weird about sharing details about yourself and your business, um, don't. Just don't kind of ease into it. I think it always helps if you can do an introduction. So you'll see a lot of influencers or people on social media say like, hey, I've gotten a lot of, oh, excuse me. Hey, I've gotten a lot of new followers. Let me introduce myself. Here's five things you didn't know about me. I think that's a great icebreaker. Try that. If you have a personal account and a business account and your business account is like product focused, I found a lot of people have a hard time with that because you're kind of behind the scenes where for me, I was always in front of 
my business. I was always the face of my business because we weren't product related in the beginning. So if you're product related and you're always pushing product and your whole feed for your business account is about your product, it's really important that you take a step back and kind of introduce yourself as the person behind the product, as the person behind what, what was happening. I followed someone, even recently I thought about this, I followed someone for like five years and I had no idea that this wasn't their full-time gig. If that's not a huge compliment, I don't know what is. I had no idea that this person, what this was not their full-time job because they did it so well and so refined and they were such an expert. It never even crossed my mind that this, this wasn't their full-time job. So start out by doing some sort of icebreaker post so that you can prepare your followers so that you can get some feedback so that they know that you're there. I think a lot of people, if they're not thinking about it, they think that it might be, I don't know, a machine back there or something. But awareness and acknowledgement is the first thing. So you've got to be aware, you've got to acknowledge that you're an expert and then you need to put that out there and receive the feedback, consider it honestly, and just keep going. Be consistent with it. Question two from underscore Amber Tiller underscore. Hi, Kristen. I recently found your page and totally love it and you. Thank you, Amber. I'm into podcast three and I just think you are amazing. I'm a self-taught designer and newbie realtor and have had the dream to really pursue my interior design business at a higher level and want to do that by collaborating with a custom builder. I see you work with builders. May I ask how you started with those builders? Did you contact them or did they contact you? Great question. Um, the build game is really different in every market. So for me, I was really lucky. I had a friend that we have known each other for like, gosh, honestly, probably like 15, 17 years. I'm thinking back. Yeah, probably like 15 or 17 years. Um, and we have been, we were friends for a long time and then kind of lost touch. And then with social media, ah, we reconnected and he is a custom home builder and he was just getting started when I was. So he was just building his business. He had some experience and left his company and started his own his own business. So I feel like the timing of the two of us coming up at the same time was really, really crucial. And it really helped us to, to kind of partner together because we kind of needed each other. Like he knew what he was doing and I knew what I was doing-ish, kinda. And so because of that, we could really lean on each other and I was able to be really open and honest with him. So. I think there's a couple ways to, to do this. One, number one, so let me continue that thought, I guess. I got lucky. Let's call it that. I got lucky. I had a great contact and I was able to tap into that. I think number one, you need to think about every single person that you know that either knows a custom home builder, is a custom home builder, was a custom home builder, works on a job site, finances job sites, you know, finances for builders, some tie to being a custom home builder so that you can ask them for a warm handoff or, or a, a lead in. Um, and you do not be afraid to approach them. If you have any portfolio of work that you can send them, the, the outgoing email, if you will, to that person is normally very well received. You might not get an answer every time, but the fact that you have someone common and, you know, someone in common will help you with that. So yes, 100% contact them. I didn't have to, but it worked out really well that he came to me and, and offered me an opportunity to work on this project. And we had lunch one day and have been doing projects ever since together. So that is that is fantastic. And then once you get that build knowledge, then you have other clients that see that you do new builds and then you have other builders that see that you do new builds and then it all just kind of kind of goes from there. If you don't have a warm lead off or a warm handoff from someone that you love or that you know, um, Instagram, you guys pay attention on Instagram. Find builders that are taking their page seriously and contact them and offer to help, offer to partner, offer to use your network to, to couple with theirs so that you guys can be stronger together. Um, we work with ENS builders almost exclusively, but that's because we've done so many projects together and because we love each other because we've been friends for so long and they do amazing work and they give us a lot of freedom to be able to do what we want with their projects, which we obviously love, but we have, we have relationships, relationships with other builders too, that are fantastic and that are really professional. And I think with builders, the, the name of the game is efficiency and honesty. So I definitely think you need to have your client process down. You need to know how to manage your client and you know how to manage a project. So if you're still having some challenges with managing projects fluidly, I would say that's something to really work on and get under control so that you're not costing them time and money on the site. It is not a fun phone call when a builder calls you and says like, your delay has cost either the, the client time and now this project is pushed back a month, which means they can't move in for another month, or money, worse. I don't know what's worse, actually, they're both horrible. So 
you kind of got to put your sales hat on and sell that you can do this. And then I think the other big, big piece with build is you have to be really honest. And if you don't know something, you have to say it. Google it first, like take copious notes, go back to your office, Google everything, try to understand, try to get some semblance of what's happening. Phone a friend, like call your dad, try to figure things out and then go to the builder and say, okay, this is how I understand, you know, at our walkthrough today, there were a couple terms that were flying around. This is how I understand, you know, what that means. Da, 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 da. Is that correct? And kind of give them the opportunity to give you the knowledge that is pertinent to their project. You want to be knowledgeable. I also think hang out on the site. Like my first few builds, I was there all the time because you're trying to understand build order and you're trying to understand materials and what they look like and capabilities and how they come in and how heavy they are and how weather affects things and what the client wants and finishes and finish schedule. And there is a lot of moving parts. And building, building is efficient but building with mistakes can be so costly and you don't ever want to be at the end of that and kind of to piggyback on what i was saying about having having the kind of weight to put your money where your mouth is you got to make sure that if you cause somebody a lot a lot of additional funds that you are able to either pay for that or offer to pay for that or compensate it with design hours or something like i i never want a project to have some sort of budget issue or have a change order because of something that me or my team did. And if that happens, we are the first ones to be like, shit, um, is this fixable? How fixable is it? How much is it going to cost? What can we do together? And and you don't point the finger and you don't like go into that, you know, kind of me monster mode where you're worried about yourself. You need to be worried about the client and how, how that affects the budget and the timing and the builder and that relationship and all of that. So that was a super long-winded answer, but you guys know I'm incapable of giving short answers. Last question from at Mama Divine. Any advice on vetting Instagram interior designers that offer e-design affordably? Yeah, aesthetic. I think if you are looking for e-design, it is uber important that you have a super clear understanding of what you want and a super clear understanding of what they can give you easily. So with e-design, you don't get any of that time to get to know the client other than I would assume we don't we don't offer e-design um, but from those that I know that do it you don't get a lot of that time outside of like a client questionnaire to really get to know the client you don't ever get to set foot in their home so that is a huge one like the second I'm I'm at somebody's house I can tell and feel exactly how they operate I really can like we all can I feel it I see it I'm looking for kind of clues and cues as to how they live their life. I'm looking for kid shit. I'm looking for sports shit. I'm looking for, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taking it all in and understanding how these people live. With e-design, you don't have that. So I just think it's, it's super important that you know what you need from an aesthetic standpoint because they're not going to get a chance to get those, those clues. Um, you have to make sure that you kind of love everything that, they've, that they do, in my opinion. Because again, you're not going to get a lot of time to make changes. E-design is supposed to be fast and user-friendly and easy and affordable. And so if, if a designer could spend all the time getting to know you and getting to know your, your likes and your strengths and your weaknesses and your pet peeves about fabric and X, Y, and Z, it would be full service design. So try to find a match that one is, is in the budget you want to spend, two is the most aesthetically pleasing to what you think is pretty. You need to think that you need to, to love what they do and they need to love what, what you want and what you like because you're not going to have that time to say like, oh, I, I, I like that lamp, but like not that much. Can you find another one? It's just not going to go like that. So look for an aesthetic match. Make sure that the budget matches. And then just make sure they're nice and kind. Like when you have to work a lot via email and that's what e-design is, it's all pretty much email based. Maybe you'll get a phone call or maybe you'll get like one FaceTime session or virtual session. Make sure they're nice if that's if that's how you are. And make sure you're nice. Like remember, we're not mind readers. We're designers. And so we can only give back what you give us. So what you put out and what you tell us is all we have to go on, especially because I never got to set foot in your house or whatever. So just be nice and kind and you want to feel that instant connection. And if you don't, go on to the next option because it's not going to get likely any easier or, you know, have that that good, warm and fuzzy feeling if you don't kind of right in the beginning. 
So that's episode six. I'm really excited. This one is really close to my heart. I mean, they all are, but this one's really close to my heart because I felt really vulnerable talking about this. And I kind of hijacked episode six and just decided I was going to talk about this. So I want your feedback. If you rate and review, we would really appreciate it. I hear that iTunes really won't even like give you a second look until you've got like a whole bunch of rates and reviews. So rate, review. um, And when you are listening to the episodes, if you guys will actually download them, don't just listen to them on the server, then that's good like for us too, I guess. <laughs> so do- actually download it onto your device um, so that we can see that and we can better track who's listening and make changes accordingly. So I will see you guys on episode seven. Thanks for listening. Kristen responds to every direct message on Instagram. So if you've got something to say, want to be a guest or have episode ideas, get her at Lifestyled Co. Need some organic desert living for yourself? The Lifestyled Company Shop is waiting for you online at www.lifestyledcoshop.com, at the brick and mortar location in downtown Gilbert, or on Instagram at Lifestyled Co Shop. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify.